0: What is going on, Next Level Church? It is good to see all of you guys. Welcome to Shift, part three. And it's hard to believe that a couple of weeks ago, uh, we began this series. We're already three weeks deep into this thing, and we're talking about this idea of adopting a new mindset toward our money. We began the series a couple of weeks ago, talking and and kind of you know reflecting on this idea that you start to hear these rumors, aren't we? Some of us are hearing the rumors, the rumblings, you know. This the, the media is kind of picking up on this idea that maybe just maybe this deep freeze economically that we've been in for the last half decade or so is starting to thaw out. And so the whole premise of this series is that uh, the worst thing we could possibly do is as the economy starts to get better here, no matter how long that takes, if it's a short time or a long time, the worst thing we could do is just go back to uh, old mindsets concerning money. So in part one, we talked about this idea that there are some new rules, some new mindsets that we need to to make a shift in. And then last weekend, we talked about going beyond the practicals, beyond the surface stuff that, you know, knowing the practicals concerning our money and the new rules of money, if you will. That's all great, but at the end of the day, man, if we don't have a heart change, that if we don't drill down and examine at a heart level what we truly believe about our money, then we're never going to see long-term health in this area of personal finance. And and, and we're never going to see this long-term change, if you will, in terms of all of our personal finances. And so last weekend we talked about, we reflected on this question, can God trust us? Are we being trustworthy? Can God trust us? With our personal finances? Well, this week in part three of the series, I want to flip that question over because it really is a matter of trust. It really is a, an issue of trust. And I want us to ask the question a little differently than we did last week. Last week, we talked about, can God trust us? This weekend, what we're talking about is, are we, can we trust God with our finances? Are we willing to trust God in this area of our personal finances? finances. And, you know, the crazy thing is that, uh, you know, we, we believe in God. We even believe, you know, that he sent Jesus, you know, in, in human form, God in human form, uh, to, to bring us salvation. We talked about it a few minutes ago. We sang about it in worship, this Jesus who came and, and, you know, gave his life for us. Isn't it something that we can trust God for eternal salvation? And yet, when it comes to this area of personal finance, of our money... It's really, really hard to trust God. Isn't isn't that crazy? A while ago, uh, I was teaching my son, my oldest son, to ride his bike. And any parent who's ever tried to teach their kid how to ride a bike knows that it's pretty much wind sprints for a long time, a lot of days in a row. Like, just like, he's on the bike, you know, helmet, white knuckled, you know, I got one hand on the handlebars, one hand behind the seat. And it's just like, <laughs> right? come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like, And I would keep doing that for the sake of the illustration, except I'd get really winded. Up here, and, and I got to do this a lot, so I'm not going to do that. So, um, so you know, there I am, and you know, he's on the bike, and so you kind of run, you know, as a pair, you run alongside. You're doing good, and then you kind of let go of the handlebars, you know, and, and then when you think he's got it, you let go of the seat, you know, and he kind of takes off, and then when it wobbles, you grab the seat, you know, I got you, I got you, and it never fails. We get to the end of the street, and he would just look at me, and he's like, Dad, I almost fell. I'm like, buddy, I got you. I got you. Do you trust me? And every time he look at me, yeah, I trust you. Yeah, I trust you. Buddy, I'm not going to let you fall. Do you trust me? Yeah, yeah, I trust And if I do let you fall, it won't hurt very bad. Do you trust me? <laughs> right? <laughs> like there's that feeling, you know, where it's just like, you, you know, do you trust me? I got you. And see, I can't help but think that when it comes to this area of our money, that so many of us feel the same way. We can trust God in a whole bunch of other areas in our life, but man, there's something about our money, isn't there? That it's like God's going, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And you're like, God, this thing is wobbly. Have you seen how wobbly my financial bike is, Lord? And yet, here's what I know. I know that today, my son has discovered a whole new realm of freedom in his life. He rides his bike all over the neighborhood. He's got this big backpack. He throws a water bottle in his big basketball. He rides down to the basketball court. My son has experienced a level of freedom in his life that he never could have imagined, all because he decided to trust his father. And here's what I believe this week in Next Level Church. I believe that God wants every single one of us to experience a level of freedom in our life financially that we have never imagined many of us could even exist. But it's going to require that we trust him financially. Are we willing to trust our heavenly father? So how do we do that? What does that look like? What, it, what does it look like? How do, we, how do we trust God with our money? How do we shift our mindset in this realm of personal finance? Well, that's what I want us to talk about. If you have your bullets, and I would love for you to, to open it all the way up. And on the inside left flap there, you'll find a few bullet points or a few statements there. Because I think if we're going to adopt a new mindset toward money, then we've got to understand a few thoughts toward trusting God with our money. And here's the, the first thought. If you want to write this down and take some notes, here's, here's the first thought. Number one is that if we're going to trust God with our money, this area of personal finance, then number one, God, we must understand that God wants to be number one in our life. Plain and simple, God wants to be number one in our life, not number two, not number three. See, here's, here's the thing. Our relationship with God was never meant to be Casual. Like, God doesn't want us to, to just have Him be, you know, a part of our life. Listen, by, by very nature, God must be number one in our life. God can't not be number one in our life. I, I think about it in the Old Testament. Moses was with the children of Israel. And uh, God's people, the children of Israel, had been slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. And so God sends a deliverer, Moses. He goes in, he, you know, talks to Pharaoh, the plagues. Pharaoh's like, just get out of here. And so, uh, you know, so, so Moses leads the children of Israel out. It was a cool moment. Charlton Heston was there. It was awesome. Parts of the Red Sea, they get out on the other side and God sets up a new nation. He says, listen, I don't want to be your slave master anymore. I don't want you to just know me as as a master or as a far-off God. Listen, you're my people. I want us to not just be a nation. I want us to be family. I want to be your father. And in Exodus chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments, he says this, you shall have no other gods before me. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he kind of echoes those words to Moses. He says, do not follow other little g-gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord, your God, big G, who is among you, is a jealous God. In other words, God wants to be number one. Listen, I am the God who delivered you out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. I don't want to just be like all of the other little G gods of the people around you. I want to be your God, number one. Wives, here's, let me see if I can illustrate it. Okay, if your husband came home from work, women, and said to you, Baby, I've been thinking about it mathematically, there are about 3 billion women, females, on the face of the planet. And honey, I, I got good news. Baby, I've been thinking about it, praying about it even. want you to know, you're number two. I, no, it's good news. Out of 3 billion women, females, on the planet, you're number two. Okay, ladies, that would not work. Then can I get a better amen? Like, that, okay, that is not going to work, right? Or like if you have a friend who's like, no, you're my best friend. And, you know, you're just, you're my best friend. And yet it always seems like good or bad. Or anytime there's something going on in your best friend's life. Like if you're always the last one to find out about it. Or if people, you know, coming up to you, they're like, hey, did you hear? They're expecting their third child. And you're like, what? They have kids? Okay, listen. Like something's like, give back the BFF necklace because you're not best friends. It's not it that's not it. There's the, the story of the old couple. They've been married for decades, you know, and they're sitting on the porch swing after dinner one night. And, you know, they're just rocking back and forth on the swing. And the wife says to the husband, honey, if I died, would you get remarried? And the man is like, oh, you know, I can't win. How do you answer this? And so he kind of hem-haws, you know, for a little while. And he's like, well, you know, I'd be, I'd be so lonely and I know you wouldn't want me to be lonely. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I'd probably get remarried. And she's like, oh, okay. And they swing a little bit longer and she says, well, if you got remarried, would you live in our house? And he kind of rolls his eyes, and he sighs, and he, you know, him haws a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, it'd be really hard. I mean, we're old, and it'd be, you know, it'd be really inconvenient to move. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, we probably live in that. And she says, oh, okay, you know, well, would you sleep in our bed? And, you know, he's just was like, man, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, it'd be really difficult to get the bed out, and then, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, and she says, well, what? Would she use my golf clubs? <clears throat> and the husband goes, Well, no. Well, I wife's kind of startled. She says, well, well, why not? And he says, Well, she's left handed <laughs> Okay, here's the deal. Listen, I don't tell jokes. I live a funny life and just like share stories for humor. So I'm just telling you, anytime I tell a joke, I'm going to laugh hard because I don't care where you're from. That's funny. That's funny. We got a left-handed girlfriend. What? Okay, here's the deal. We can all laugh about that and that's really funny and the whole, okay, but, but here's the thing. I think for some of us, when it comes to God, we have a left-handed girlfriend. Because we want everybody to believe God's number one. God's number one, and we sing, and we lift our hands, and we, you know, live our life. and such. But when it comes to our finances, other things are more important than God. And see, I think we've got to check our heart on this one. Who's number one? Is God really number one in our life? And if he is, then he must be number one financially. And here's the reason why. This is why this is so important. I want to talk this through. I want to teach this through this weekend because it's so important for so many of us who maybe have never heard this before. Listen, second thing, if you're taking notes there in your bulletin, here's the deal. First of all, God wants to be number one in our life. But secondly, we have to understand the principle that the Bible lays out so clearly that the first has the power to bless the rest. The first has the power to bless the rest. And this is not just a money principle. This is an all of life principle. Let's go back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. When God delivers them out of Egypt, they go through the Red Sea. In Exodus 13, the very first thing that God says to them, okay, you're my people. I don't want to just be a slave master. I am your father. I want to be present and active and work among your life. So in order for that to happen, Here's the very first thing I want you to do, to involve me into the most intricate intricate and intimate places of your life. Look at it. Exodus chapter 13 verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Moses, "Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal." The word consecrate there means literally means to set apart or to dedicate. In other words, God says, I want you to put me first in all of your increase. For them, this was like their income. When they'd have an a offspring of any kind, human or animal, that was, that was a good day for them. Verse 12, he continues the thought. Look, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Then he takes it a step further. Verse 13, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Okay, what's going on here? Here, Here's what's happening. God is establishing his people. And not in a legalistic, political way. He's establishing a relationship with his people. And he says, I want you, first thing, coming out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, I want you to understand, That the way to bring about the full blessing of God on your life is to offer me, to give me the first of all of your increase because the first has the power to bless the rest. And did you catch the part in there about the lamb and the donkey and the breaking of the neck thing? Okay, here's what's going on. And we alluded to this earlier in our time together. See, it's all about the blood. The Bible says that there can be no remission of sin without the sacrifice or the offering of blood. And so in those days, donkeys were considered unclean, but lambs were considered clean. And so in order to sacrifice the first of an unclean animal like a donkey, instead you would sacrifice a clean lamb. And the clean was payment for that which was unclean. Now the cool thing about this is this is an Old Testament picture of of a New Testament principle that we see lived out in the life of Jesus. Because see, we humankind are unclean because of sin. But Jesus came as the one and only, the only begotten son, the one, the first, clean, spotless lamb of God. And he was crucified on the cross. The clean was slain. And it has the power to bless the unclean, the rest. The first has the power to, to bless the rest. Now watch what this means financially. When we give God the first of our finances, it has the power to bless all of the rest of our life. In a, see, when when we put God first in this financial zone of our life, it's as if we're inviting God in to partner with us. We are inviting the blessing of God on everything else we do. See, the Bible calls this tithing or giving God the first 10%, the first one of 10. Tithe, give God the tithe, tithing. And what's it? The, the purpose of tithing financially in our life is to teach us to always put God first in our life. And here's the cool thing this is not just a money thing, this is an all of life thing. We do this as a church. Those of you who've been around a while, you hear us talk about uh, doing our prayer and fasting on the first Monday of the month. What are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We're basically saying, God, we're asking you to bless the rest of our month. And so we're going to give you the first work day of the month. We're going to set it aside. We're going to pray. We're going to fast, maybe a meal, maybe the whole day, whatever. It's why to refocus, to realign, to re up with God and say, God, we need your blessing on the rest of our month. And so we're going to dedicate that first part to you. We do this in terms of studying the Bible. That So many of us, you hear us talk about soaping, which is our way of reading the Bible and applying it to our, our personal lives. And, and so many of us soap first thing in the morning. What are we giving the first part of our morning to? When we soap, I I talk to many of you and you tell me, you're like, listen, if I go a few days without soaping in the morning, man, my whole, the rest of my day is shot. Like I can't ever get in the rhythm. Why? Because the first is the power to bless the rest. Some of us, the reason why we're all jacked up rhythmically in our day is because we're giving the first part of our day to CNN or Fox News or the Today Show. Listen, I like Matt and Al and Ann as much as the rest of them, but they don't have the power to bless my day. This is an all of life principle, not just a financial principle, that in every area of our life, it's true. The first has the power to bless the rest. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve days, that the very first family in the Bible, they're in the Garden of Eden. And God says to them, you may eat of every tree in the entire garden, except For the one in the center. And many theologians believe that there were 10 general uh, species of trees in the garden. And God was saying to them, I'm asking you to give me the first 10th. Set it aside. Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. This is an amazing illustration found in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel, the two uh, sons of Adam and Eve. They they have a a great picture of this. Look at it. Genesis chapter 4 verse 2 says this. Now Abel kept flocks. In other words, he was a rancher. And Cain, his brother, worked the soil. He was a farmer. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Verse 4, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Why? Here's two brothers bringing an offering to the Lord. Why would God look at one and say, my favor, my blessing is on that one, and look at the other and say, my favor, my blessing is not on that offering? Well, Bible scholars tell us for two reasons. First of all, the reason why God did not look with favor or didn't bless Cain's offering, first, uh, Bible scholars tell us because he brought uh, fruit or produce And in those days, we talked about there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. It was all about bloodshed. And so, uh, you know, traditionally and in this regard, what Cain should have done is taken his produce and traded it or sold it to the brother to get a lamb, to get an animal. Then he could give the sacrifice of blood which would be for the remission of sin. Does that make sense? So that, that's one component. The second component is, did you notice in the scripture, it says in the course of time, Cain brought his offering before the Lord. In other words, when he got around to it, when, if there was anything left over, then he'd give that to God. But it says that with Abel, he brought the fat portions of the firstborn. The first has the power to bless the rest. And here's what I want us to understand. This is true in our financial lives. And and, and watch this. This is so important. This is not a legalistic thing. That is not what God has set up here. This isn't about legalism. This isn't about, you know, well, it's God. No, no, no. Listen, this is about relationship. God says, I want to be intimately involved in in the most intricate of details in your life. Which, what is more personal to us than our finances, right? If you don't believe that's true, give it all away. It gets real personal real fast. Well, God says, I want to be involved. And the the way to do that, the way to prove that, so to speak, is to invite me in, to put me first in your finances. So the question for us is, who who are we giving God, or who are we giving to first? Are we giving to our mortgage company first? Are we giving to Toyota Motor Company or Publix or or Target, or Kohl's, who are we, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, who are we giving to first? Listen, your mortgage company is powerful, but they don't have the power to bless the rest of your life. Toyota Motor Company doesn't have the power to bless the rest of our finances. And again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. This is, this is not legalistic. Every once in a while you hear somebody say, and you better make sure your tithe check is the first one one or else, everything else is good. It's like, you know, the wife walks in with groceries and the husband's like, no, don't eat that. I've got a right to time check first. Okay, not that. That's not what I'm talking about. It, it, because again, this is not legalism. This is relationship. God wants us to understand that the first has the power to bless the rest, so the question for us is who are we putting first in our finances and, and let me just say this listen I know I understand this whole idea, this whole principle, trusting God with our first is a faith principle. I get it. I get it this is a faith principle here's why because we have to give to God before we know that we have enough to meet the needs, right? Like, some of us right now are pushing back. Right now, you're going, Pastor Matt, listen, I hear you, and I get it, and I appreciate how you're backing it up, Scripture. And I, like, I can see it. But, bro, you don't understand. If I give God the first 10%, there's not going to be enough. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I might have more months than I got money. Like, like I and mean, I understand, There's a story in in the book of Joshua where God speaks to Joshua and he says, I want you to go out and I want you to conquer 10 cities. And the first city I want you to conquer is the city of Jericho. And here's the deal. Everything you take, all of the loot, all of the treasure that you take in the city of Jericho, because it's the first city out of the 10 that you conquer, it belongs to me. You dedicate it, you consecrate it, you set it apart, you give it to me. Then you go conquer the other nine and keep all of that. Now, here's the thing. Again, we read that and we're like, yeah, that makes sense, right? I get it. Okay, it's the principle. There it is again. Okay, listen, Joshua had a big operation going on. He has this entire nation. He has this an, a huge army to feed and to take care of. Can you imagine the pushback that old Joshie Poo got when he told the soldiers who are like, look, a gold watch. Look, honey, it's a Tiffany's silver necklace. Check it out, right? Okay, can you imagine the pushback he got? when he told the soldiers, no, 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 don't keep that silverware. It doesn't belong to you. We're giving it to God. Can you imagine? I'm sorry? We're going to do what? We're giving it to whom? What? This was a faith principle. It takes faith for us to look at our personal finances and say, God, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, but I trust you and I put you first. I'll just tell you, this has been true for Next Level Church for 10 years now. When we began pre, pre-launch, like before we ever began, things were tight. We were living in an 800 square foot apartment in the wrong side of town. We didn't even know it was the wrong side of town. Like, I mean, it, we were it was tight. We had gotten what they call the left foot of fellowship from our friends, uh, most of them up north. Do you know what that the Bible talks about? We extended the right hand of fellowship. We got the left foot of fellowship. They said, go, y'all go ahead. Don't call us, we'll call you. We're still waiting on, to call. Okay, so like we, it was rough. I'm working in the back of a jewelry store. Turns out being honest matters in the jewelry business. Like we were, like it was like, what is going on? And I can remember we had some friends and, and uh, from up north that sent us, uh, several of them sent us like $700 to support our little church plant 10 years ago. And I remember my wife and I sitting down and writing that first tithe check for $70. Okay, listen, we, we didn't know. We weren't sure it was gonna work out. Like, we didn't know all of it. Like, we didn't. We could have used that $70. We had a baby in diapers and Mike Ash. <clears throat> we didn't know. See, this principle is a faith principle. It takes faith, doesn't it? To say, God, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I trust you. Here's how Proverbs says it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, we get this backwards, don't we? We think when God overflows me and fills up my barns, then I'll honor the Lord with my wealth. God says, no, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite. Honor the Lord with your wealth and all of your possessions. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's, that's the principle. And here's what, here's what I know you're thinking. Some of you right now, I know what you're thinking. You're listening to this and you're watching this, whatever. And you're going, oh, yeah, what, bro, come on, man. You're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. Which is a legitimate argument. But can I just tell you? that this is a secret to getting ahead financially, that some of the most wealthy individuals in our nation and in the world understand both Christian and non-Christian. In December, Sarah and I uh, went to New York City to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And we spent some time at NBC Studios and uh, there at Rockefeller Center with the Christmas tree and the whole deal. And so, the last night when we were actually celebrating our anniversary, we, we went up to the top of the rock, which is Rockefeller Center, the big uh, skyscraper. And so, we went up to the observatory, and while we were waiting in line, you know, with the people, movers, and everything, painted on the walls was the history of Rockefeller Center. And right there, for all, every tourist in the world to see, uh, is the story of, of John D. Rockefeller, who was the guy who built Rockefeller Center. And, made the contract with RCA, which became, you know, NBC and so on. And right there on the wall of Rockefeller Center, it says uh, that in the midst of it, in 1905, when he was building all of this and just really, you know, really generating a lot of wealth, that a reporter asked him the question, Mr. Rockefeller, what's the secret? And no lie, here's the quote written on the wall of the visitor center in, in Rockefeller Center. Here's, here's what he said. I learned the principle that if I put God first, He'll take care of the rest. And in 1905, John D. Rockefeller gave away a hundred million dollars to the work of the kingdom of God. Here's a guy who understood what we're talking about. I think about so many of you in our church. Sarah and I had the privilege a couple months ago of having lunch uh, with a lady who's been in our church for a long, long time. She's a single mom. Uh, has an entrepreneurial spirit on her, and she moved here several years ago to Southwest Florida to start a business, to, to kind of do the entrepreneur thing, and it was right as, as the economy was tanking. And we're having lunch with her a couple months ago, and she told us that uh, her business was right on the edge of, of going under. And she heard me speak on this subject, putting God first, because it has the power to bless the rest. And she came in and she met with Pastor Scott Drummond, one of our pastors and staff, and he kind of explained it to her a little bit more. And she said, well, okay. If, what the heck? If, I mean, if I'm going to go under, I might as well go down in a blaze of giving. And so, uh, so here's what she did. Uh, Amazing, fascinating story. She not only started tithing on her personal income, but she started giving God 10% of everything that came in on her business. Okay, listen to this. We're sitting at lunch. She's telling us, she said, "You listen, there were four other ind- uh, companies that were starting doing the exact same thing she was here in Southwest Florida. All four of those companies went under, and hers, in the middle of every other ind- you know, business in this town crashing, her business took off. And she said to us, here's the quote, sitting at lunch, she said, There's no doubt in my mind that tithing saved my business, I promise you. I'm telling you, you can can talk to other people across this church, individuals, college students, high school students, married couples, who have been living this principle. If you want to find them, come. They'll be in line to talk to me because after every service like this, people always come up to me, and they're like, it's true, man, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them. I had one person come up to me after one of our services, and he said, I'm just telling you, there's no way to understand it until you do it. You just tell them, they just got to do it. I'm just telling you, it works. And so many of you understand that this is true. Okay, watch. Here's the principle. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 in the Bible says it this way. Bring the whole tithe, the first 10%, into the storehouse. In other words, the local branch of where you are fed or the local expression of God's work on the earth. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, that I may, I can use that to provide for my kingdom's work. And then look what the Lord says to his people. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it floodgates. And verse 11, incredible, He goes on. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord. Then, here's, here's the reason why. Look, I love this. Then, God says, if you'll put me first financially, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. What? What? What if that's true? What if it's true that God, one of the very few places in all of the Bible where God actually commands us to test him? I dare you! to pedal that bike. I dare you to put me first and see if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. And then he says, and, and you just watch. If you'll put me first, if you'll trust me and bring the whole tithe, not 2%, not 5%, 10%, the whole tithe into the local expression, my storehouse of what I'm doing on the earth today, I will not let the pest devour it. Your car will run when other people's car is breaking down. I will, I will sober. And here's why, here's why. So that unbelieving nations around you will look on and say, wow, there must be something to their God. Is it possible that God wants to bless our lives to such a degree that when we get deliberate when we get diligent when we go to financial peace and get it figured out and start saving and putting in margin and living within our means and all of those things that dave will tell us how to do on in fpu is it possible that when we put god first that god could position us to be the ones That when someone in our office or in our workplace, someone in our school, someone in our connection group, someone in our neighborhood has a crisis or loses a job or or has trouble financially, what if God wants to so bless us that his people rally, that his people gather around and go, you know what, we got you. Don't worry about it. God so blessed us, we're going to take care of you. We're going to get you through. We're going to partner together and we're going to see you through. Is it possible that God wants to use us, his people? He's just waiting for us to have faith, to trust him. Number four, trusting God with our first is a matter of heart. At the end of the day, it really does come down to heart, does it? Again, not legalism, not religiosity, not obligation. It's about relationship. God says, I want to teach you a freedom to experience the world in, 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 like you never have before. But you've got to trust me that I'm not going to let you fall. Remember in Exodus 13, they come out through the water, the deal. Get on the other side. God says, I want to establish you not as a slave master, but as your, as your Lord, as, as a father, as someone who walk, works among you. And he says, consecrate, give me, set apart the firstborn. Look what he goes on to say in verse 14 of Exodus 13. He says, in those days to come, when your children ask you, what does this mean? Say to them, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why. I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Verse 16, And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. In other words, God says to Moses, I I recognize Moses, there's going to come a day where your kids Won't remember Egypt. There's going to come a day, Moses, where your kids are going to look on and see you sacrificing the firstborn and think to themselves, hey, Dad, we could use that. What are you doing? There's going to be a day, Moses, where your kids are going to crawl up in your lap while you're writing checks and they're going to see you writing the tithe check and they're going to go, wow, that's a lot of money dad, mom, we could use that. Why are you giving that to God? Why are you doing that? There's going to be a day where our kids will look at us and go, why are we putting God first financially? It sure does seem like a lot of money. And God says to Moses, Moses, in that day, you pull that son up on your lap. You pull that daughter up on your lap and you explain to them, son, daughter, your mom and I weren't always ranchers. We weren't always farmers. We didn't always have all of this. We didn't always live like this. See, a long time ago, we were slaves in Egypt. God saying to Moses, and I believe he's saying to all of us, when our children ask, why do you tithe? Why are you giving to God first? You explained to them. Once upon a time, we were unclean. Once upon a time, we were in sin. For God so loved us that He gave His first and His best, and it had the power to bless the rest. So, son, daughter it is a joy to give to God first he gave us so much it's not obligation it's not legalistic it's a joy to put God first in our finances so what about us? A couple of challenges for us this weekend. The first is, is God number one in our life? Maybe some of you, while we've been talking, you've been searching your heart and you know, you can just you just know that you're far from God, that he's not number one, or maybe there's a person and they're number one, or the pursuit of money or things or success or climbing the ladder or whatever it is, maybe it's, or maybe just your ego or yourself or shopping or whatever is number one in your life. Listen, God wants to be number one in your life. This can be your day where you just say, God, I want you to be number one. And if so, I want to give you an opportunity to do that here in a minute. But the second challenge for us this weekend is, is God number one in our money? Are we willing to trust God in the financial zones of our life? And it's a faith deal. I get it. It's scary. I get it. But God says, if you'll trust me, you're going to learn to ride that bike and it will open a whole new world. So my challenge to us this weekend is, will you trust him? Will you trust him and put him first in the financial zone of your life? Here's what I challenge you to do, and I have made this challenge a lot of times over the 10 years of our existence as a church. Will you take the 60-day tithe challenge? I challenge every single one of us who are listening. Take the 60-day tithe challenge from now to mid-April. Will you put God first? Will you test him like he commanded you to do and see if he will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that there won't be room enough to contain it? I can't tell you how many, I can see so many faces in my mind of people who down through the years, the, the, they began their whole tithing journey by taking a 60-day tithe challenge like I'm giving right now, this weekend. Will you do it? Will you trust him? Well, you put in, but now here's the thing, listen, it's not, God's not a great big slot machine in the sky, put in 10%, pull the lever and ding, 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 ding. It's just, no, 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 listen, it's not like that. But there's a peace and a joy and a blessing, both tangible and intangible, that cannot be contained. Ask anybody who's ever taken the challenge. Let's pray together. God, right now, I just pray for every single person that you would give us just a holy dose of courage. God, I pray that this would be the weekend that we put you first in the area of personal finance. God, I pray that this would be the weekend that we step across that line with this new understanding that the first has the power to bless the rest. God, I pray that you would make yourself real. I pray that you would open up the floodgates of heaven like your word declares and you would begin to pour out so much blessing that we would see you around every corner, every opportunity, Lord, in our relationships and in our workplace and in our finances, God, in every area of our life, God, that you would just show up and do the miraculous. Lord, prove yourself faithful, prove yourself real, prove yourself the trustworthy God that you are. Jesus, we make this commitment to you. We declare you are number one in our life and you are number one in our finances. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and everyone who agreed said, amen.